The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Coffee and cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Well, this is the last thing you want to see. As they brought the stretcher out, they have that backboard out. DeMar Hamlin is the one who was in on that stop on T. Higgins. And then he got up and just went right back down to the ground. A somber, a somber way to enter 2023. Here on Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club, live from Hale Varsity Club, one of the best places to take in sporting events. And also, uh, Friday, we're doing a little breakfast with Benning in the Morning, so make sure to reserve your spot well, for that live show. Well, you'll be there, too. Yeah, but it, it sounds better, breakfast with Benning. Uh, hey, good morning. Good morning. Let's, let's start there. <laughs> let's let's start let's start with a good morning. How are things? I haven't seen you. Like, let's start there before start we on go. a positive note. Well, I mean, or just let's just be humans, right? Why you know, can't we be friends? <laughs> and things are good, you know. Um, holiday break was exciting and stressful. I got engaged. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Post Malone, uh, Shane. I now have a fiance. My baby calls, seeing you on TV. Don't say the next line. <laughs> that, that's, that's <laughs> stuff, don't uh, I like Post Malone. I do too. Great artist. But no, I, I had a very fun and, and family-centric holiday, and I know you did as well. Yeah, it was, it was quiet. I, I felt like I was drinking through a fire hose, right, with all the sports, whether it was NFL. Oh, I thought you meant alcohol. College. I wish. <laughs> College hoops, uh, college bowl games, which were fantastic, uh, Metro Holiday tournaments. It was always something going on, and there were probably, I don't know, what's 24 more than 72, 96? There were probably 96 straight hours of, like, just sports consumption. I told you I didn't even watch yeah. everything yeah. on TV throughout the break because it, sometimes it, it, it's just it's like nice that. to get away. Oh. It's really nice to get away. Now, without a, with or without a Snickers. <laughs> you, well, I was not me when I was hungry. Do you want to get away for a while? The Metro Holiday Tournament was fantastic. Now, I'm glad I'm glad you got a chance to I'm glad you the got a The first class A games that I was able to take in. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that to later. I I uh, I'll be curious to get your Thoughts, T-H-O-U-T-H. And this is coming from somebody with a blank canvas. T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S. Yes. Thoughts, not T-H-O-U-T-S. I won't ding you for that. O-T-S. You got it right. Well, You're moving well, on to the second round of the spell and beat. Is it Shane? Well, I don't even know why I'm asking him. Is it homonyms or homophone? Homophone? Homonyms, the words that sound the same but are spelled differently? No. Synonyms? No. No, that's... But, 
Come on, man. <laughs> no, like bear and bear. Homophones? That's homonyms. right. It's not homonyms. Are you sure? I've never heard of homonyms, if it's homonyms. Maybe that's the thing that I think grits are. Or is that hominy? <laughs> Hey, listen, I, 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 had, I don't know. I, I, to, I guess I didn't pay good you, enough attention not, you're not, you're not, in English class. Homonyms definition. Each of two or more words having the same spelling or pronunciation but different or meanings. Homophones. So there is such a thing as homonyms. But this says or homophones. That's what I said. I yeah, said both so words. That's is what it I homonyms said. or homophones? And you're like, I've never heard of homonyms. <laughs> I've <laughs> never heard of homonyms. It's a, it's, I've heard of homophones. It's a real. It's a. It's a real thing. I just don't know what it is. I've. D- did you? Somebody else. Call in eight 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 six three eight four. No, no, we're not gonna. <laughs> we do need to give the number though. Eight eight eight. Yeah. Six three eight. Get involved with the show. We got a lot on the docket today. The lineup, of course, we'll we'll kick things off with the Demar Hamlin injury. We'll go into. Husker football and uh, the baby of the program now. And, and it's not just Matt Rule's baby, a literal baby in the program. Yeah. Uh, which has left mixed reaction on social media from Husker fans. We'll get into college football was, playoff and bowl games. Trying to find all my comps, man. There are a ton of youngins out there, but collectively as a group, Matt Rule's staff will be one of mm. the younger staffs. Uh, I think Lincoln Riley's is still a year younger uh, in terms of average age. Do you know who the youngest coach in college football is? This is a genuine question because I don't. He, well, I don't know if he's the youngest, but I only know this because I watched him get trounced by Iowa. Kentucky has a 26-year-old offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. So it's not uncommon. Yeah, that seems safe. Well, how old was Lincoln Riley when he got hired? He was 25. McVay was 24. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Right? As, that, as Riley was think, 25. McVay was 24. Yeah. And I'm missing one. Th- there was like a little run of youngins. How old? Zach Taylor was young. He's our very own. How old was Zachary Taylor? Mid-25 at A&M. Zach Taylor was 25 at a and I'll tell you what, though. When you... When you're talking about 20s, two years is like exactly. 20 years. And you know what? And what did everybody say about Zach Taylor? Well, that's just because his father-in-law. Well, I, talk, listen. You always need an in. Yeah. Talk, talk about uh, Ian Eagles kid that's calling games or Chris for the Clippers. Worth, right. But he's like 23 years old right now. Yeah. And he's calling games with the Clippers. Yeah, you don't just it, jump to the NBA out of college. Uh, well, or, you know, having Notre Dame as your, as your national broadcast. I, yeah, sometimes it helps. Now, um, let's go back to the big story of last night. Mm. As I set off the cusp, cusp of the show, it was a somber night in Cincinnati. Yeah. DeMar Hamlin left the game in an ambulance after receiving CPR on the field. It was in the first quarter of that football game, a game that a lot of people were looking forward to because of the playoff implications. And... It, the scariest sight on the football field that I think I've seen in a long time was a, a normal tackle, a, a hard play, Higgins going into Hamlin, Hamlin going into Higgins, and Hamlin standing up as if everything was fine and a second and a half later falling back to the turf. And not only is, is that a scary moment to see on TV, but it's – Uber scary 
for the players out on the football field especially because that type of thing could happen to any one of them at any point in time. And they had to watch it happen to one of their brothers, one of the guys that they spend hours on end with every single day throughout the season. Mm -hmm. He's 24. DeMar Hamlin is 24 years old. And when you hear, when you see CPR being performed on the football field, you're talking about life or death right now for somebody that hasn't even made it to a quarter of 100. At this point, DB, because we are still ways away from knowing what actually happened. We do know that it was cardiac arrest. We know arrest. it's cardiac arrest, but in regards to... Was it, yeah, was it pre-existing? Was it the actual, did it get hit just, I mean... There, he may be, never play again. No, I understand, and I think that is so minor in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. But, man, I... And it was weird, right, because, um, you know, obviously social media had super strong opinions and, and dumbed me again made the mistake of assuming folks can read with best interest, right? It's Twitter, it's immediate reactions, and I'm like, hey, this shouldn't take as long as it has. It is not a good look for the NFL. It's a little embarrassing. And, I mean, it's only a handful of guys, but probably two or three guys were like, man, it's not about you, there's no immediacy. I'm like, listen, it, you guys are missing the point. It doesn't have anything to do with what I know or when I know it. I'm watching, and, and I, as I scrolled through Twitter and I watched news and I listened to Ryan Clark's kind of soliloquy, there is a very, very, very clear-cut line between folks that have played at a high level with other people versus people that haven't. Because I didn't see one former athlete try to rationalize or surmise or figure out what the NFL was trying to do during the duration of the time that it took. It was, you can't play this football game anymore. Mm -hmm. Which and, was the right decision. Right. But I say all that to say, so there's a couple, there's, there's, so, there's probably three things that went through my mind. Number one, I watched a guy in Booger McFarland struggle. My, my heart immediately hurt for him because he could, and, and people, there are varying degrees about it. People think he's good at his job or not anyway, but he was emotional. And he didn't really want to talk about football he didn't want to talk about the updates and I understand that he's he's paid to do a job but that doesn't mean that I can't care right like I was like god they have got to get these guys either him Susie and and uh what's my guy with the little tight-knit brillo pad Adam Schefter this is haircut um you've either got to feed them notes and it's weird right hindsight's 2020 oh you should have done this you shouldn't have done that and and meanwhile everybody up there nobody's ever been through that before Right, so it's it's nobody plans for it's that. it's unfolding real time. So I, I always think about I've had probably a handful of really difficult shows. One was after my father passed away. One was after my brother passed away unexpectedly, 
And probably the most explosive show I think we did a, a while back was when my my former teammate allegedly committed suicide while he was incarcerated. And I only... I. I, I I did those shows because um, I felt like the, the the people that were involved would have wanted me to, and it really took some doing, right? I'm talking about like sitting there in the. I remember distinctly sitting in the driveway. I remember sitting in my former work's parking lot. Like, do I do this? Do I not? And I had every opportunity to to work to get out of it. And and so my heart kind of. It, 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 it breaks a little bit for people that have to go through that. Matt Cotney told a story with Connie Yori and being on a broadcast where um, there were some issues uh, as, as, a, as it, for his, uh, when he was doing play-by-play. And so, so I immediately thought of that, like, oh, my gosh, they're scrambling. Like, they, they just, wow, this is really going to test their professionalism, but I just don't want you guys to have to go through that. So I thought that. Because they kept saying, hey, no further update, no further update, no further update, which they didn't really have, right? And But then I immediately thought of what players are thinking when if they have to go out there. Because football is different than almost any other sport you can think of, with the exception, Shane, of maybe NASCAR, where you may have a, a collision like that, and 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 people have to be... I know. I know. Baseball was brought up. If you were bought, maybe hitting the chest. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking maybe boxing. I don't know. But this is what football. This no boxing would stop immediately. Uh, this is the this is the thing that makes football different. It's the only one of those aforementioned where you have to take your mind there again on every play to run into something as hard as you can and do it over and over and over again. In racing, you're not trying to, to, to hit other cars. In, in baseball, you're not trying to hit other players. The intent of the sport and its inherent mm-hmm. nature is violence. So I'm immediately thinking there's zero way that these guys can rally and play and keep themselves safe. You, you just... It would have been a disservice to them because their mind wouldn't be in the game. Well, so now you're and you're going to get hurt, and you're going to get hurt. That's what I'm saying. You're prone to getting injured you're, you're, now you're, you're, because you're, you're not doing things the way you normally would. You're going, and I, it was so. Ref- and I didn't I, listen. I mean, Ryan Clark, I, I love him because he's a former Steeler, but he, I mean, he's also really good at, at, at those, spreading his message. He's he's good with those types of things, right? Where it, you need to have a human a human element to sports. Um. And and I thought, oh my goodness, he and he said, even if you played the game tomorrow or next day, it's going to be a bad product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a bad product because people just can't function until you know he's and okay. I, and I felt like even in um, even in like a, a moment of even if the network and because I understand inventory and commercial time and allotment. And I immediately fought force majeure, right? Like maybe there's a deal where something so catastrophic could happen that things are immediately null and void contractually. But usually it's some, it's some, it's a force of nature, 
right? That can, they can, where that could be applicable. And I'm like, so, so I wasn't even bothered by the five minutes, the five minute warm up. Because initially, I'm just being honest. Like initially, I'm like, okay, you know, five minutes doesn't seem like very long. Like I didn't love it, but I wasn't like, man, I can't believe the NFL would do that. But after like 30 minutes, I'm thinking, okay, there's a chain of command. There's protocol. I'm sure these guys want to get to their teammate. I I think Coach (laughs) McDermott, wants to get to the hospital or something, mm-hmm. right? Like where you don't have the capacity to, to, to do your job anymore. And I kept, I, I got, a, I got a, a tweet this morning, like, and everybody's different. And I don't know, I can't allow it to like, you know, like. Bother you? But it does give me kind of a sample of, of, of what I'm dealing, now I can't find. So th- this was just this morning, right? An hour ago. So somebody, like, made a conscious effort to wake up and tell me this. Uh, And it said the best of all bad options would be to keep playing. Do two things at once. People have to continue on uh, through terrible events all the time. What is really accomplished by this? Question mark. I assume that's rhetorical. When I die or I'm in the ER, I realize that life must and can will continue. And I'm just thinking to myself, eh, first of all, it makes me sad. But where's the compassion? Well, it, like that? it's not it's that and the fact that you're comparing apples to oranges in that regard, primarily because football, again, is one of those sports where there's already inherent risks. But CPR is a game changer. You're telling me that if you are in your office and you need CPR and to go to the hospital, that you're office as a whole won't go home that day yeah you want to you you're gonna tell me that your boss is going to say everybody get back to work you want you think you're gonna function you want the way that you started you want another it's you can't do it there's no shot (sighs) uh this is from he says and listen i'm not saying that this is everybody i'm just Mm -hmm. giving you that not everybody's going to agree with what we agree with. there were tons of people so i'm trying to i'm trying to just establish or understand where other people are coming from so it's it's like doing game prep Right. I know ultimately it's about what our team is doing, but I sure would mm-hmm. like to know right. how what the plan of attack is. So I want to know how other people think, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it, it sometimes it'll make you pause. It says when I worked we had an employee collapse on the workroom floor. Paramedics arrived, administered CPR on the floor while we were wheeling him out. Work continued without interruptions. RIP Sal. And I'm just telling you, it, that's tough, right? It's it, it was tough to re It was tough to read. Hold on, let me close my jaw. It's tough. My mouth. It's tough. My jaw. It's tough to read. But there seemed to have been a little bit of that. I think that's nuts. In 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 the world that we live in today, you will always have the option to go on or go home, be with family, be with your brothers. And in this case, your family is your brother, are your brothers, and your brothers want to be there. For another brother. I thought Ryan Clark said it best. He said, you realize we spend more time with those guys than we do our families. Mm-hmm. And Everybody. There, coaching staff included. There's this, there's, this, there's this brotherhood in sports that I think is different than any other facet of life except 
for maybe military. Where you have that camaraderie, the common vision, the I will lay down for the guy or gal next to me because it's what we do. And, you know, R.C. said, you know, in games like this, you really find out that he said it's like true serum. You find out that you really do things in sports for other people. Like that's that's really what it's like. And, and you'll get the man, choose something else different to do. And let's not act like people don't do jobs just because they're good at it. Not everybody goes to work and loves their job and thinks, man, there's no place else I'd rather be. Now, there's probably a component of that from time to time. But sometimes people just do things because they're good at it. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a way, it's a way to provide. Now, if you give them the same opportunity to make the same money doing something else, maybe they would. I don't know, right? Maybe neurosurgeons only want to be neurosurgeons, right? I mean, you're like, gosh. I actually I, know a neurosurgeon that decided to be a travel agent. Because distress. They, they didn't want the stress anymore. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's different. And I'm not, I'm not mad. I was at no point mad at the duration that the NFL took. Because, you know, I hear, well, the, the chain of command and things take a long time. No, I understand that. And I'm sure you didn't want a lot of traffic leaving the facility. So, and, I, and, I heard, and I read this, too. I'm sure the, those that needed to be informed knew ahead of when we knew it. If you believe that, what, what, why were McDermott and Zach Taylor in the tunnel conversing. conversing on the phone with league officials about the protocol 35 minutes removed? Right? So you can't really have it both ways. And I, and I do Listen, I'm not, I don't need a pound of flesh. When I say it's not a good look, it's because... I want those people to be able to be with the people that they care about the most and have the opportunity to clear their mind. Let the business be the business. Let the people be the people. Two things can occur at once. And, and here's the deal. that When they made the announcement, that's when all of a sudden the people in the stadium like started leaving. Didn't you at some point say, why is everybody still there? And I immediately thought, well, it's traffic. Maybe they want to see what's going on. Maybe they're in shock. Like I feel like it was the nosiness and the shock factor. Yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea. And I also think the NFL didn't come out and make an announcement right away because you, didn't, you don't want a lot of people leaving while the ambulance is trying to get out. Right? So you want, yeah. the, you want the first responders to go first. Then you want decisions to be made so that the floods of people can then go. Well, I, and, I, and you would hope that people would want to just kind of take a moment back and kind of kind of reel it back in and make sure that they're okay you know that their mindset before they get out and get in a car and drive yeah when i and i'm being perfectly forthright here and now that i look at it i was like oh that would have sucked too but even when they said five minute warm-up i it didn't elicit an immediate response Mm -hmm. from me except for boy this is going to be tough because they're going to be thinking with their mind half in. And I said this before, remember Shane, like seven or eight years ago, people always ask you, hey, what point, what time, what period of time in your life would you go back to? And I think sometimes people assume I would pick college because of the success and, uh, you know, it was the springboard to whatever. 
And it's not. And it's not the time that I would go back to because, and this is how I told it. You had to be on every day. On. Or bad things would happen to you when you were at practice. Like, it was going to be one of three things. You could be so off your game that you kind of fall to the rear and you're not going to have an impact. You could be half-hearted and get smoked. Or you could compete every day and try to be the best. And you had to be on every day. There was no rest in terms of having to grind. And I think when you play a violent sport, that's what it's like. We'll give our closing thoughts next on Hale Varsity Radio. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. And we welcome you back to Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from Hale Varsity Club, the H&H Chevrolet stage, alongside Damon Benning. I'm Andrew Rogers, giving our final thoughts on DeMar Hamlin and the injury. Uh, but first, I wanted to provide the statement that the Bills released earlier this morning. And when I say earlier, I mean way earlier, about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in the Buffalo Bills game versus the Cincinnati Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field and he was transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. I haven't seen anything new come out regarding those details, uh, but if you have, pass it along. Uh, it, it'd be great to get an official update. Uh, but as we move forward throughout the show, before we get into Nebraska football, before we get into college football playoff and bowl games, uh, and, and of course, our hour of guests in the eight o'clock hour, we'll be talking to Mike Huguenin. He's the national executive editor and college sports writer at on3.com. We'll talk to Will Teeman, Michigan State basketball play-by-play broadcaster that he game against Nebraska he tonight at 6 p.m. And our friend Joel Lorenzi, the Creighton beat writer for the Omaha World Herald. But as, as we wrap up our, our conversation regarding DeMar Hamlin, and, and, and great to see fans also rally behind him too, not only outside of the hospital, but in regards to his toy drive mm-hmm. that he started and, and having a goal that was set at $2,500 that's now around $3 million mm-hmm. is what I've seen this morning. I mean, just, just tremendous. I mean, don't forget, Bills fans are known for doing the same thing for other teams. Yeah. So this is uh, sort of kismet to karma um, that we saw here, but I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see the second time around when I just want to know like what, how, cause I like to, obviously like I think people will, if you don't know, you will like just the human component is what I kind of gravitate towards even then sports. And I think the marrying of those two things is what, why I like this business. But I want to know what Coach Taylor and Coach McDermott said to one another while the players were warming up and they came and kind of embraced. Like I just, you know, and and, and maybe they'll share what was said, but maybe they won't because you don't really want to come out and say anything negative. Um, You know, like, man, I can't believe this is only going to be a five-minute warm-up or whatever because... I mean, that is uh, your place of employment, and I think there's a real fine line for that. And You asked me about uh, 
off-air about Keontae George in Florida when he collapsed. And they did finish that, that basketball game. And I think the, the difference is, is the intent in which the sport is played. And in football, especially at the NFL, where they – because let's not forget about the message of Mm -hmm. player safety, which is all we've heard about for the last eight, seven, eight years in the sport. I think that was kind of where the – wait a second. We're going to ask these guys to fire this up again? And – uh, it just kind of gave you you pause. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know what one competitor said to another in those moments because at the end of the day, that thing is such a small, tight-knit fraternity. I mean, did you see the rest of the league responding? Mm-hmm. Like Those Everybody. are guys that you go to, like, and all of a sudden, none of that matters. It's just about being a mm-hmm. person. So I, 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 I thought it was kind of cool. Maybe cool is not the word. I was was moved i was curious to want to know what that what that exchange was like well you also bring up the sport of basketball and how the game continued you go back on this injury and why the game was postponed it's because the hit led to the injury Mm -hmm. and it, it takes me back and i can't remember the exact year it was either maybe two years ago when jay bomeister had um cardiac issues on the bench Mm. on the blues bench and they postponed the game like mid game because of his collapse on the bench hockey's another sport where hits like that lead to bigger injuries Mm -hmm. so uh, there's there's differences there but i'll tell you what man and and this is what i'll I'll end this thing up on you know prayers not only for demar hamlin uh, his family, T. Higgins, every other football player, because uh, like I, everybody knows the NFL is a big brotherhood. But I tweeted this out last night because I was almost in tears putting together the rundown today because I, had, I was watching it on TV because I wanted to hear Ryan Clark describe um, his perspective. I wanted to hear Scott Van Pelt, did, which who, he did a phenomenal job too uh, for his entirety of his show. And then even Joe Buck and Aikman on the call. But I was sitting there watching, and I thought not only just about everybody involved in the situation, but those sitting at home that have, have or has loved ones that have dealt with heart-related tragedies in the past. And the one person closest to me in my life lost her dad to a heart attack, to somebody, a situation to where... Nobody, nobody knew he, he was out one day running on the track and just collapsed. And I, I showed, like she was seeing the injury on TV and, and she's such a strong person, but because she didn't react at all to the way that I was reacting, but it made me sick to my stomach knowing that I, I was, I had to like do this. I had to like watch a lot of these things for work, but at the same time, you know, think about her Mm. and this situation. Um, So I I don't want anybody to take a situation like this lightly because there are so many people out there that see something like this and are immediately back in PTSD. It was was interesting to hear, you know, 
uh, Schefter and Bug and like even Aikman. Um, I think it's different for him, obviously, and and Bug just playing at such a high level and and going through injuries, almost apologizing and for still doing their job. Right, just the guilt. Mm-hmm. I think that they felt consumed with because you want to give consumed. privacy but you also have to yeah, inform. It's a, it'd be incredibly it's a hard thing i remember i when i worked in the news i had to report on a murder a murder of a mom a foster mom that was murdered by her foster son and i'm out in front of her apartment complex getting berated uh, by and, family members. And, and sometimes I but think... But I'm doing my job. And sometimes I don't think we know what we sign up for, even though we know what we sign up for. I, I we, we have a personal... We have a... He's a super close friend to me. We have a personal friend in the business who was working uh, in Albuquerque and and covered a, uh, an accident that involved drinking. He's one of the first on the scene. And... and described it in graphic detail and quit drinking cold turkey right so it's just like you never know the impact that like a traumatic experience um, can have on you like that real time and so I always just I'm just very cognizant to, and, and maybe I'm just so I don't know what it is but you know maybe it's just you're like I just don't want people to have to go through things unnecessarily right that's unless that's the choice that they make to do and i just was a part of me was wondering gosh even if they told them they had to play again like would they that'd be Mm -hmm. that would be extremely difficult i looked they they pan the picture on josh allen he's sitting on the bench wide-eyed i mean he's like you don't have to be showing physical tears to be and there was a lot of that of too. I just hadn't seen that many. Gr- that was that was interesting, to say the least. You met, you mentioned what happens next. When do you make up this game? If he's not better by this weekend, are there NFL games? Well, I think that there's like no. you you kind of have to play at this. Yeah, point. I th- I don't think there's any way that they don't move forward. Uh, there's, I, I just I, mean, I, I don't. I don't know. Any possibility that the NFL just kind of postpones entirely i don't i don't i i i think you could probably get i mean if you're if he was teammates with somebody else on another team i, w- I wouldn't imagine that maybe that person wouldn't play I the mean, next game but what will he sort of thing so i we need a little perspective right just because we've seen players play after people have actually passed in their family mm-hmm. so I think if they know that he's going to be okay at some point, but I can't see the NFL saying, no, nah, we're not doing it. There's no way. I mean, they're already, I mean, I hate to say it, but the reality of it is, is they're up against it with seedings already. Like you, you need some, it was mm-hmm. a fairly important game from a sports aspect, not as it compares to life, but they got to figure that out too. We'll change gears next. Talk about the new Nebraska hire and more on the Husker football team. Next on Hale Varsity Radio. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. 
with you on Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency alongside Damon Benning, who looks as dapper as ever in his puffy vest. I'm Andrew Rogers. I feel like we wear the same outfits. Like, you may. I don't know. I think this is something I've seen you in numerous times. Uh, it's always interesting. I, I So, you know, every, when I get out of the shower in the morning, whether, whether it is I... I may smell like whatever shoes I'm wearing, whatever gear I wear. I don't want to picture you getting wear, out of the shower in the morning. I just think it's funny that my partner is always going to have some thoughts on my my appearance. I thought you looked great. <laughs> I said you looked great. Okay. I've never once taken a shot at you outside of the fact that you wanted to use female body wash. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> I still haven't gotten that. <laughs> I need to. You know what? Bath and Body Works is having a sale still. I got to find a way to get some of that for yeah. you. Yeah. For you, not for me. Well, for you, maybe I'll get it to that. Ashley. Give yeah. it to Ashley too. You guys have some thoughts. <laughs> Give us a call eight 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 six three eight forty eight seventy six. Eight new topic on the front eight 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 six three eight forty eight seventy six. You got it. I think. Did so. you say it right? Six three eight. Yeah. Come on, man. Hey, you know what? I, I got to give you more credit. Sh- Shane, did you air dap me? High five. And uh, get involved on the show whenever you would like by using that phone number. Now, Nebraska. Has finally rounded out their staff. Mm-hmm. It's finally the right word because I feel like I'm reaching to. They did it in a good time. Well, I don't know. You can be critical if you want. I don't I, but know. I'm not critical because I, I, I guess because of all the work they've done, it seems like they're three months in when they're oh, three weeks in. I get that. So, kind of relative to not having being fully just, staffed. Yeah, timeline. Um, but one of the biggest storylines from yesterday was seeing a baby like a literal baby face on twitter the baby face the zach grank the zach granky coming up yes. in major league baseball and, of college football coaches and it's nebraska's new wide receiver coach garrett mcguire 23 years old he worked as an offensive and assist offensive assistant for the panthers now before we get into outside reaction I want to get your reaction on this, and then I'll provide mine. But you brought up great points by saying it it doesn't matter what age you are because a lot of coaches are starting earlier and earlier now. But when you saw a hire like this, do you think it's exactly the Matt Rule method? Because he said he was going to get experienced OCs, DC, like coordinators, and then go young the rest of the way. Yeah, it's it's pretty much what he said, and and – so there's a couple of things. Number one, I'm big into this, right? I think head coaches, coach coordinators, coordinators, coach, position coaches, position coaches, coach players. Like I think in a healthy manner, that's how it works. It keeps the head coaches sharp and involved. The OCs and D- the coordinators continue to grow, and your defense, your position coaches have a clear expectation of what's set for them, and you guys stay connected. So I still subscribe to that. So if if that's the case, then that's exactly, my guy, what's going to have to happen. And and listen, I've I've given some. I'm waiting for my guy Stumanji, um, Eric mm-hmm. on Twitter. He'll come I've up been following him. Oh, he's fantastic. He'll and he'll come up with, um, he'll come up with some numbers and stats. And I think he said sixty percent of assistants didn't have uh, less than one year. Let, yeah, let's read yeah. this right here. He's amazing. I don't think this wide receiver hire causes nearly the same splash if 60% of the assistants didn't have less than one year of full-time coaching experience at the FBS level. Yeah. That's what he said. So, so what I think the major pushback is, is we still are a little 
upset's not the word. It is fresh in our minds that we did not like the way that the previous head coach assembled his staff. We were very, very critical of him bringing over such a young staff with Power 5 experience. I mean, this they talked about this for three years, and then it came up again <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so I still think we are a little jaded. Right, as a, as a state, as a fan base, over experience. Uh, is there a difference with who the head man is? There absolutely has to be because not everybody is uh, provides the same tutelage. And one thing I know about Coach Rule for sure, and we were, we, we were talking about food last night. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm getting a chance – to get to know his personality better. But one thing I know for absolute sure this early on, what is it, two months in? He is supreme. Are we really two months in now? I'm, I think so, right? Is it two months? Back end of November. Six weeks? Uh, yeah, I don't even know if we're a full two months Six in. weeks. Yeah. Six weeks, right? So it feels like we're two months in. It was fast as they moved. <laughs> right. So um, I, I feel like he's supremely confident and the guys and gals that he surrounds himself with in the program because he's so hands-on and he has a ton of experience and this may be a little too (laughs) deep for this segment in the morning but i think based on what he did at temple and what he did at baylor and then his experiences at carolina he's he's reaffirming even more the importance of chemistry and camaraderie over talent, over mm-hmm. proven talent, I mm-hmm. should say. Does, does that make sense? Like, I think he's erring on the side of, I want to go with what I know, who I know, who I think I can trust that's going to work with, with me and allow this thing to grow with the same vision Then I'll take over anything else. And and maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's the the guy that, you know, has ne- has never had good success with blondes. So he's like, yeah, I'm gonna go out and get a brunette, right, or or whatever, right. Sean Icors didn't like Coach Polini's fiery personality, so he went out and hired Coach Riley, right, or something like that. Because there's some sort of that human component, but he seems so calculated in what he's doing and what he's thinking. I tend to want to get I give him the benefit of the doubt because he's so sure. Like like mm-hmm. he's he he's convincing when he lays out the plan. Like when he shows you blueprints for how to build this house, you feel like it's going to be on sturdy ground. Mm-hmm. Some people are That that's the sense that I get. Some people are just that good. Maybe and, now and we don't know, but we but I think he's but earned the in. benefit of the doubt. Right, buy in now. So you're talking about a 23-year-old. Look, soon to be th- 24. Soon to be 24, right? Yeah. Are we 23 and a half? Um, I'll be 24 in a month. Uh, do we celebrate half birthdays? Um, <laughs> Depends. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I almost got to shut down yeah. here. <laughs> so almost 24 years old. But think about it. Think about some of the best like young people that you know and the positions that they're in. And I don't want to like toot my own horn by any means, but – Look, I, I'm 25 going on 26, and I'm leading a morning show in town. 
Anna Bellinghausen, somebody that I work close, closely with, is two, three years younger than me, and she's one of the best local sideline reporters I know, has been on Big Ten Network, you know, um, all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. If you're a grinder, you get things done, you build a reputation for yourself, whether you're 40, whether you're 23. Credibility comes with the experience that you bring and how you go to work every day. And I don't think... In, in this particular case, Garrett McGuire needs a lot of people chirping in and, and telling him who he is. He knows who he is because he's built this reputation for himself. There's a reason he was working at the NFL or in the NFL at the age of 22 in the position that he was. It means he's good. I'm also a huge proponent on relating and respecting, right? So relationship is easy when you talk about a 23-year-old relating to college football athletes. Now, it takes, though, a mature college football player to respect a 23-year-old like you're going to respect Matt Rule. And it depends on the culture, too, right? You drop a guy in in a certain culture where it polices itself, it's not as big of a factor. You know what I mean? It's like if if, if the the better-tasting – the eggs are the fewer or the less opportunity the subtle ingredients have a chance to affect the overall product right it's i mean that's just this is kind of the analogy i i give it and and i mean we'll see but you're talking about a very very inexperienced inexperienced staff Mm -hmm. right where you're talking about out of the nine assistants uh only four have power five experience so, I a mean, lot of them, though, transition from the NFL. Yeah. Is that a good thing? And with and this is just McGuire, this so. is just McGuire in particular, right? Obviously, a coach's son. We saw what just happened with his dad over the weekend with the extension from Texas Tech. And let's not let's not forget six years ago, twenty sixteen, he was the head coach at a high school. Five years ago, he was a special assistant with tight ends at Baylor. In 2022, because it wasn't 2023 Mm -hmm. yet, he gets the long-term deal at a Power Five in a Power Five school in a Power Five conference at Texas Tech. So his son may come from good stock. We'll see how he goes about his business and going to work. But I'm just. So far, and again, I don't know it. I'm not not professing to be all in Coach Rule's head. But from what I can glean, he's not the type of guy that I think is doing something like this without feeling confident about the what he wants the desired outcome to be. Don't forget, we're in a weird stage in our world when it comes to coaches and, and people that find their way into certain positions. Take a look at the Colts. They moved an analyst <laughs> and said, hey, you're going to be our interim. Yeah. Out of nowhere. And it's not working out for them, so no. I don't love that analogy. The experiment isn't working, but just think about how coaches can, can just get plucked and put in positions. I, I did watch, I did watch Akron them. hire a 24-year-old defensive line coach that just played at Minnesota against Nebraska two years ago. <laughs> it can work. Make room for Mike Hugan, and he's next on Coffee and Cream.
Coffee and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Play action fake. Clifford waits time. Delivers deep downfield. Lambert Smith's open at the 50, 40, 30, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Penn State. The Nittany Lions dramatically hit an 88-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert Smith. And for the first time today, they have a two-score lead. Top of the hour on Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from Hale Varsity Club, the H&H Chevrolet Stage at Hale Varsity Club, alongside Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers. Nobody got that game right in regards to our college football bull picks, and nobody accounted for Cam Rising getting hurt either in that game, so that's probably <laughs> why uh, Utah was highlighted for all three of us, and we'll get into the exact numbers later on in this segment. Uh, but for now, we'd like to welcome in Mike Huguenin, National Executive Editor and College Sports Writer at On3.com. Mike, good morning. How you guys doing? Appreciate you having me on. Oh, Mike, I'm going to try to take you uh, your expertise with me wherever I go. So I appreciate <laughs> you. I appreciate you a ton. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to uh, to you guys as well. Hey, it's thank sort of you, sad that we only have uh, one college game left, but uh, if it if it's as good as the semifinals, it will be remembered 15 years from now. Those semifinal games were fantastic. Mike, let's stay right there. If do you th- so I'm pushback maybe isn't the word, but I was really, really, really reluctant to expand college football playoffs. I knew it was inevitably going to happen, but I'm thinking to myself, gosh, until you get some conference uniformity, number same number of conference games, kind of work out some of the logistics to to make things as equal as possible. I wasn't interested in expansion because I didn't want auto bids. And it hadn't been very competitive. College football was one of the sports that I think had gotten it right in terms of getting me the best national champion, and I could watch the bowl games to be entertained. If it was like this early, could you have seen a bigger push faster for expansion where you get competitive, exciting games? No, I actually think that the lack of entertainment led to some people – the mindset being, okay, we, we, these games are bad, we just, but, but we, need more, we need more of them anyway. We need more, mm. we need more stock, so to speak. We, you know, we only got two things on the shelf. Let's put more on the shelf. But um, if, again, if, if Saturday is an example of what's to come, that's fantastic. You know, I don't think a, a 12 seed is ever going to win, but I can see a 12 seed winning one or two games depending on the quarterback situation for that school. Uh, but, again, the, the, the last couple of years, obviously, the semifinals have been dogs. Uh, on Saturday, they were tremendous. And, Mike, you look at TCU's performance in that game, and the local kid, Max Duggan, a native of Council Bluffs, just speak to his performance entirely in this game because without him – I don't think TCU is as competitive as they are this year. Well, well that, you know, the, the weird thing is he starts the season as the backup. Right. Then Chandler Morris gets hurt in the first game. Duggan comes in and wows everyone. And we, we wrote a story earlier, and Dykes expressed surprise that Duggan was just consistent because that's been a problem for him in the past. 
But Duggan says there's no question this team is much looser and plays with more of a swagger now that Gary Patterson's gone. I think Duggan, obviously, if, if Duggan's not the quarterback, ECU's 8-4 and four and playing in the Texas Bowl, something like that. I would argue that he did not have anything close to his best game on Saturday. He made key plays at key times, which has been a hallmark of his season. But I think if I'm a TCU fan, the idea that we're in the national title game after just a okay game from Matt Duggan in the semifinal is a big thing. And the fact that Ohio State receivers were running wide open all day against Georgia what what can Quentin Johnston do? Um, what can Davis do? Um, what can a tight end do? Maybe the Spivey kid or the Wiley kid? I mean, there's this is an. I think the 14 point spread to me is a lot, and I think TCU also showed it's far more physical oh, than yeah. people give it gave it credit for. But again, Duggan, if Duggan, you know, if he can sort of bottle up that last drive in the Big 12 game against Kansas State. I think TCU actually can win. Mike, it's so interesting because a lot of times you don't see this until it's the playoffs in the NFL. But you said something, and I'm like, bless your heart. He played his best football. He is in max when it mattered. Say what Matters. you want. Say what you want about who you think the better team was or wasn't. Because I kept hearing this in the Ohio State and Georgia game. I'm like, hey, you know what? For as much control as Ohio State had. Part of being a great team is playing good when it matters, and they did. Where do you come out on credit versus, well, you know, uncharacteristic things that such and such, and in this case, Michigan did, the inability to run, the lack of commitment to the run. Like, where did you come out in terms of giving credit? I, I, th- I think Michigan was surprised, like everybody else, that, oh, my goodness, it's harder to run on TCU than we thought. And I think they were flabbergasted that TCU's backup running back runs for 150. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, I worked with Ivan Mazel, and Ivan wrote a story this morning on the DeMarcado kid. He had that long 69-yard run. Only three teams this season ran for more yards than, than the 69 run. against Michigan. So Michigan, TCU's offensive line is big, physical, and I think when you when you saw them play in the Big Twelve, you're like, oh, they're, you know, Big Twelve defenses aren't good. But then they played against Michigan, which does have a physical defense, and those the TCU offensive line manhandled Michigan's defensive front. So um, I think you got to give a ton of credit to TCU uh, more so than Michigan lost the game, and and Ohio State. You wonder if Marvin Harrison were playing in the last quarter. You wonder if Kate Stover was playing in the second half. You wonder what would have happened if they didn't have to use a, a wide receiver at running back for the bulk of the game. But Georgia made plays when it mattered. Stetson Bennett was 10 of 12 in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Georgia does not have an elite wide receiver, but they make do anyway because Munkin's a good play caller, mm-hmm. and their offensive line did some mashing of its own. So I think that the winning teams deserve the credit. I don't think you can say, oh, Michigan play, you know, Michigan should have won that game, or Ohio State should have won that game. No, TCU and, and Georgia went out and took those games. You mentioned Michigan's defense and how they just kind of crumbled in this game. A, a top defense all year long, and they got exposed by TCU, and the Big Ten is built on defense now 
Nebraska, if we take the local angle here, goes out and hires Tony White, somebody that runs the 3-3-5 defense, or at least has run that or did run that at Syracuse, and that's what TCU ran. And there was a lot of criticism when he got hired at Nebraska because a lot of the public thought the 3-3-5 defense wouldn't work. Do you think that that got answered in this game in particular? Now, I think it's all about players. I mean, you Me could too. you could have the the greatest defensive coordinator in the world. If his, if his players aren't any good, it doesn't matter if you run a three three five, a four two five, a four three, whatever. So Nebraska's defensive talent level needs to rise. But I think if you watched Tony White at Syracuse the last two years, his his defense has been very very good, considering the lack of size he had to work with. And let's get serious, the, t- the talent level he had to work with. They had two good corners this year, uh, a really good linebacker, um, a, 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 an appalling, frankly, lack of bulk up front. They didn't have a starting defensive lineman that weighed more than 271 pounds at Syracuse. So I, I, oh, it's going to be different in Nebraska. But a 3-3-5 works if you've got the right guy. Yeah. And you can be physical in the 3-3-5, as you showed, um, TCU did a great job rotating its defensive linemen, and they've done that all year. Um, they got active linebackers, and that to me is key. If you have if you have linebackers who can basically come up and knock the snot out of you, as well as occasionally drop into coverage, your three three five defense is going to work fine. And and TCU has that. And you look at a guy like Johnny Hodges, a transfer from Navy. He played great football this year at D Winters showed both sides of that. He had a pick six, and he had some big plays for tackles for loss. Yeah, he's a it's, physical It's a very well-coached defense, and again, yeah. it goes back to the players, but if you've got good linebackers, 3-3-5 three, three, is going to work. Yeah, let me, go, let me flip over to Georgia and Ohio State because this kind of became a thing I was talking, you know, just going back and forth on, on social media about perception in, in Ohio State, and, and, I, and I look at Stetson Bennett, more yards per completion than Stroud, even though I thought Stroud was spectacular. Georgia ran the ball for over five yards a carry. And I get the the holes on the back end. But how did you think that that game came down to Ohio State having to miss a field goal and Georgia only converting two third downs for as gaudy as some of their offensive numbers were in the game? Yeah, that was a weird game. Uh, a lot more high scoring than I thought. Um, the, the thing about Ohio State this year, they, they start 11 and 0, and you know Jim Knowles, oh, what a, what a great job! He, his defense is really good. And in the last two games of the season, the Michigan loss and now the Georgia loss, they were ex- exposed a bit as boy, they need to be a heck of a lot more physical. And I think if you look at, I mentioned TCU's linebackers before making big plays and being very active. You look at Ohio State's linebackers. Eichenberg's okay. Um, Steel Chambers was a high school running back. Yep. Um, that's just not very good linebackers, and that's stunning to me considering it's Ohio State. You should be able to recruit nationally relevant linebackers, and they don't really have any. Uh, and the lack of physicality up front showed against Michigan, showed against Georgia, but you're right. At times, the Ohio State defense made some big plays, but I think if you had told me before the game that Ohio State was going to score 40 points, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to win. Because yeah. I don't think Georgia can outscore them, but Georgia did. Um, you feel bad for Ruggles, who had a really nice two-season career at Ohio State after transferring. Um, the pressure, I think, obviously got to him. 
it would have been nicer, obviously, if you're 10, year, 10 yards closer. But the Georgia defense made two big plays on the second and third down preceding the field goal. But, yeah, I think Georgia was shocked at how the Ohio State wide receivers basically did what they wanted. And that has to be worrisome when Quinton Johnston is next. And, and again, Max Duggan, Stroud hurt him with his legs. Yep. Duggan's a vastly better runner than Stroud. So the, the Georgia defense showed some holes on Saturday. It's going to be interesting to see if TCU can exploit them as well. Mike, I'm curious, because you mentioned uh, being 10 yards closer, and I'm thinking, wow, the play calling was interesting for Ohio State down the stretch. I look at USC, no idea what they were doing offensively. I looked at Michigan earlier in the TCU game with the reverse inside the five with that offensive line. Where do you kind of come out on on the Jimmys and the Joes versus what they're actually being asked to do when you're watching the landscape of college football now? Yeah, the Jimmys and the Joes and the X's and the O's. I think Michigan outsmarted itself. You're right. It's a team built on its physicality. Mash the ball in. Don't be don't be running Philly specials uh, on the first possession of the game. Now, I think Ohio State and USC are a little bit different. I think those teams are predicated on the pass. I, I think you put the you put the ball in the hands of Stroud. You put the ball in the hand of Caleb Williams, and your your best player. You hope they can make a play. So the the play calling didn't bother me as much for USC and Ohio State, but Michigan. I thought that first possession of the game. Yeah, it was gigantic, and I also think that it gave TCU not that they needed any extra impetus, but man, that you know, you give up a huge rushing play on the first play of the game, and then you bow up and keep them out of the end zone. You were helped a lot by the play call, but I, I that to me was the most egregious example on Saturday. The, the play calling for SC and Ohio State didn't bother me as much, but man, I think the, again the USC loss. They got to get tons better defensively. Um, their offense, as long as Riley's there, their offense is going to be good. They need to make tons, tons of adjustments on defense. We're speaking with Mike Huguenin, national executive editor and college sports writer at On3.com. Again, Mike, I'm going to have you stay right there in regards to USC and the Tulane victory. And speak to just what what that says about teams and turnarounds going further. Not further, excuse me. Not just because of what we saw Tulane do this year, but how that sets up other teams that may have Dude, struggled K- Kalen, a year Kalen ago. DeBoer, there, there were a lot of coaches that put first year. And Fritz has been there a while, but still, the one right. year thing. But moving forward, when you talk about teams that, that haven't been successful lately and just the confidence that they see in Tulane that can maybe carry over to their program. Well, plus, look, I mean, look at TCU. Five and seven last year, just horrendous. Uh, and then now they're playing for the national title. And I, my assumption is there's a lot of coaches out there that are, like, tipping their hat to Sonny Dykes, but they're also under their breath cursing them out, going, oh, my God, you've actually put even more pressure on first-year coaches to get stuff done. And that's – I live in Florida, and I'm a University of Florida alum, and, you know, Florida had a – bad first season under Billy Napier. Um, and then you look at what TCU did um, under Dykes, and it's even more impressive. But you're right. I mean, Willie Fritz reconfigured his staff. They have six new assistants this year. 
Um, basically, you know, they, they got a couple guys out of the portal, nothing special, but it was basically the same players. I think the coaching was different then. Obviously, their health was different. But you look at the, the Spears kid, and you're like, He's unbelievable. Why is this dude not playing at LSU, for God's sake? Especially given how un- inconsistent LSU's rushing attack has been. Michael Pratt, he's, he's from South Florida. Um, boy, if you're a Florida fan or even a Miami fan, that dude would look pretty good in your lineup. Um, and it was well-coached offensively. They brought in a new offensive coordinator from the Division II ranks, Jim Svoboda. And he did. He, he tweaked the offense. I think he took even more advantage of Michael Pratt's arm. And Pratt didn't throw a lot of passes yesterday. During the season, he had, he, he was an extremely effective passer. But you're right. I mean, I think it puts more pressure on a guy like Matt Rule next year, puts more pressure on a guy like Billy Napier next year, Mario Cristobal next year. We, we, you know, the, the fan bases that aren't necessarily patient are going to say, wait a second here, you're telling us we need to wait, wait, wait while you get stuff in place, but... You know, Dykes didn't do that. Dykes played for the national title in his first year. So, again, I think the coaches out there are, are both tipping their hat and cursing uh, Dykes for how quickly he got TCU back on the beam and, indeed, better than they were any time in the last five or six years. And he did it quickly. I've watched Spears almost all year as a – uh, is there's a lot of folks in here. One of my best friends is a huge Fritz guy, so he's been on the radar. He may be the best kept secret in terms of running backs coming yeah. out in the draft. But let me let me, let me ask you this, Mike: If you're in Ann Arbor, what's your level of anxiety right now with Coach Harbaugh? Yeah, I think the idea that Harbaugh they've been through this before, year, right? Know, um, <laughs> this, I'm it. This is it. I'm staying here, and now you know NFL teams are coming after him, and I think it comes down to. First of all, don't take anything a coach says ever at face value because you know, co- co- coaches lie. So, and, 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 I'm, and I'm not disparaging them. That's sort of in their job description because you're not always going to tell the truth. I think this comes down to simply does Harbaugh enjoy college football more than he would enjoy the NFL? You know, I'm, I'm an old guy. I've been doing this for 30 years. 30 years ago, everybody – oh, college coaching – so much easier. It's not twenty four seven. You know, you got months off in the summer. Well, college football now, I would argue, being a college head coach is harder than being an NFL head coach because there, it is twenty four seven now. You're recruiting out of the portal. You're recruiting high school kids, and remember, these are fifty year old men begging eighteen year olds to come play for them, and that in itself is bothersome to some adults. And then now you got to worry about re-recruiting your own players to make sure they don't go into the portal. Mm. So I think being a college head coach now is more difficult than being an NFL head coach. Um, so I think Harbaugh needs to – well, he will come to the realization what, what's, what's more enjoyable for him, to, to stay a college coach at his alma mater where he's got Michigan to the playoff two years in a row, or does he want to go to the NFL where, frankly, it would be less work. Mike, incredible stuff. We appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year.
Thanks, Happy Mike. New Year Happy to New Year. you as well. And uh, if you'd like to get involved on the show, give us a call, 888-638-4876. Oh, we have a caller exactly. on line they one. That's Michigan Lance and DB. You had a great segue after start talking a little uh, Ann Arbor with our guy Mike Huguenin. And now we can talk a little bit of that with Michigan Lance because I'm sure he was put through the ringer this weekend, not only with the loss to TCU, but then seeing the Harbaugh uh, report come out as well. Well, uh, first of all, happy happy New Year, fellas, and happy you guys are in Omaha. Congratulations on that. Hey, thank you, thank you. Um, so, well, I guess first the loss. Well, first, hey, uh, about yesterday, I missed what you guys, I didn't get to hear what you guys were talking about, but, well, Damon, can you tell me the gist of what you said, basically? About? About last night? Well, I, I, I felt like the two things could have been happening at once where, I don't think people sometimes understand that football is different when it's a sport that's predicated on violence. You know, the CPR and watching a guy hurt like that is a non-negotiable for football guys. I just they just won't have the ability to recover and and mentally and, and yep. mentally and, and and do it again, right? I mean, that's going to change right. a lot of those players' lives going forward, believe me. Having seen that Real time, and I thought that that was independent of, you know, however the league handled, you know, the situation because people will hear what they want to. I'm not, right. I'm not, crit- I'm not criticizing the NFL for taking the time to to cover their basis. I wanted them to let the players off the hook because I think they knew some time in advance that that game was not going to be played. That that I wanted Coach McDermott to be able to get to his guy. You know, I just. Yeah, I look. It's it's more of a human component than I am about exactly. me needing to know. I didn't care when they told me. When <laughs> right, exactly. So, so my my favorite exactly. my my favorite thing is is Damon. It only took an hour. L- listen, watch somebody almost die in front of you, and tell and put a cap. On that 60 minutes, <laughs> right. every minute feels like an hour. Put a cap. I, I just I chuckle at some people's insensitivity. And maybe I'm a baby. I'll, I'll, maybe I'm a baby. I, I'm the youngest of five. I'm a Pisces. But I couldn't believe. Like, again, two things can be true at once. You can do your due diligence because you can, you can try to figure out the television inventory. But to watch yep. people struggle not knowing was uncomfortable for me. Most definitely. Most, I definitely agree with that, and that's where people forget, man. Yeah, like you said, the human element has to come first. And unfortunately, in society, society now, with a lot of distractions, a lot of things to, to veer us away from the human interaction and the faith interaction, like it's it's crazy and ridiculous, man. So I, I definitely agree with you with that. Um, the, you know, Michigan. You know, you just can't. I mean, they gave up two defensive touchdowns, right? Like. You, you, that that's hard to overcome, and then you got play calling. The play calling was not done well uh, on Michigan's part, and so I, I knew early on I'm like it's gonna be tough to win this game when we weren't making the right decisions and right calls on offense. And now this stuff about Harbaugh, you know, it it'll be interesting to see is he just using this to get more money, or is he really considering? He just leaving? got paid. They're not going right, to – Ward Manuel is not going to go through this again. I, I, I agree. Exactly. I, I agree. And so, 
you never know if it's from his side or just from the NFL side that somebody just because somebody wants you doesn't mean that you're entertaining mm-hmm. that call and that conversation. Mm. So I want to know more. Thanks so much, man. Enjoy the new year, and we hope you have a good one. Hey, thanks, fellas. Talk to you later. Hey, thank you. And we'll talk to Will Teeman next, Michigan State play-by-play broadcaster here on Coffee and Cream. Coffee and Cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Hogarth with it. Now to Brown. Here comes another three. He got it! And they have all come from the left side of that court. Another one for Brown. And that's a career high for Gabe Brown. He's got 22. You just heard from the voice of Michigan State basketball, Will Tiemann. We welcome him into Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage alongside Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers. Will, good morning. Happy New Year. Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you guys. What do you do with people like me who just drink coffee black? No clue. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first question coffee related we've gotten on the show that's okay that's okay see see andrew's the energy guy he's the coffee i'm the cream that kind of settles it down so if you like energy then andrew will be your guy if you just drink your coffee black the the natalie attired best dressed voice in east lansing will team and we forgot to to mention that well i was just joking uh, before we went to, to break, this was before Christmas, we were trying to get a handle on Big Ten basketball. And I said, I feel like I know how Purdue wants to play. I think I know their style. I feel like Indiana, when healthy, with, Shif- with Shafinu back and, you know, if Cop can shoot it, I feel like I know how they want to play through the post. Iowa wants to score. Nebraska gets stops. And I said out loud, I don't have a good handle on Michigan State. Why is that just me or is that a Michigan State thing when we say I don't feel like I have a good handle on Michigan State? No, I think that's pretty fair because it's hard to get a handle on a team that you don't know how good the personnel is or what the personnel even is. And so as as you go through it <clears throat> what has happened Michigan State right now is basically the Michigan State team you've seen. Uh, Monty Sissoko, who a year ago, if, if I would have said to you, he's critical to the Michigan State success at the post, you would have thought I was a little bit off. <laughs> but the improvement this young man has made from one year to the next is incredible. He's gone from not Big Ten worthy to pretty good, pretty good player. And, and we saw it against Kentucky. He was awesome. Is he great? No, but he's pretty good now. And all of a sudden, you've also found out that what's this ball club going to do with a depleted roster? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's four, three or four unused scholarships because Tom Izzo decided he wasn't going to go to the portal and he was going to stick with the guys he had and develop his culture and his players the old-fashioned way. Well, so far, so good. But then in the middle of all this, Malik Hall, who's preseason all big 10 a really good player important to the michigan state team he gets hurt after four games and he misses eight games and then you've got uh jay nakins a promising young sophomore he gets hurt 
So now you take a ball club that doesn't have many players to begin with, and you take two of them out. And you're playing this nutty schedule, 11 games, 33 days, and you travel over 10,000 miles. Gee whiz. And we wonder why we were tired when we went to South Bend. Who would have guessed? So when you get down to it, what has happened, Hall will be back for tonight's game with Nebraska. Aikens has had a couple games back. Sissoko in the post is adequate. And his backup, a freshman by the name of Kohler, he's improved amazingly. So at the end of the day, they will still play the same kind of basketball that, you know, you've seen in the past. The difference might be it's more of a team group, and they probably shoot better from multiple spots. You mentioned the game against Nebraska, that on deck tonight at 6 o'clock, and it makes me think that, you know, Tom Izzo, even after that Buffalo game, already had uh, his mind made up on who he knew Nebraska was, and that's a physically defensive team, and you saw that against Iowa, and Izzo wasn't very happy, even though you know Michigan State comes away with a 20-point victory, with the way his team played defense in that game. So in particular, as you're preparing for a matchup against a team that is as strong defensively as Nebraska, what is Michigan State thinking about going into this one? I think ball movement. The best way to, to stop a team like Nebraska who collapses in the middle is ball movement and, and shooting. And so can Michigan State move the ball quickly? The answer is yes. Uh, will Michigan State get its fair share of rebounds? Probably. Will Walker have a nice game for Nebraska? Most likely. But at the end of the day, it's going to boil down. Can MSU make its shots that it has that are open? And Michigan State will have open shots. Uh, Iowa had open shots, mm-hmm. but they didn't make them. And then you get down to free throws. The Spartans, pretty good free throw shooting team. Nebraska, not so much. So if it's a tight game, I, I kind of look at those two things. I'll get to Tyson Walker here in a second. But how much of kind of trying to figure out Michigan State has to do with AJ and 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 Joey Hauser, who? You know, you watch them on three or four different nights. They may be two different players, but you know that they're capable. How much of their future settles in on how those two perform in terms of consistency? They have to play. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're in the Big Ten, your stars got to play. They just do. Uh, and so it's it's critical that he, he plays well against Nebraska tonight. And Michigan the next night, and whomever's after that. But the Joy Hauser we've seen in the past is not the Joy Hauser we have this season. Yeah, much more consistent. Um, just playing a lot better overall. He just he's just a stable guy. He's good for double digits, close to double double every game. And the interesting thing about Michigan State, you're not going to see a guy leading the Big Ten and scoring with this group. Because there are so many, there's only one basketball and so many shots a game. And with Michigan State's Walker and Hauser and Malik Hall and Aiken, just that group alone, uh, they're going to get so many shots. Not as many as they would get on a lesser team, but they can make them. So at the end of the day, I got to tell you guys in August, when, when Tom said, look, we're not going to the portal. This is our team. You're thinking, oh, my goodness. Uh, 
what do you do if there's an injury or two? Well, we found out what happens there. But as this team develops, I'm beginning to think that this is a ball club, if it can keep its pieces, can make a run at the Big Ten title. I'm not saying it's going to win the Big Ten, but in August I didn't think that was possible. Now I do. Well, and this is a team that's really finding their stride at a good point in time now that Big Ten play is ramping up. But you also look back on some very credible wins, especially the one against Kentucky earlier on this season in, in overtime. And it, it goes to show that, you know, I tell Damon this all the time, good coaching goes a long way. And great coaching in particular, Hall of Fame coaching, comes from the bench at Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Just Even though he didn't go to the portal and there was a lot of questions there, uh, it just goes to show that you know he really knows what he's doing and nobody can really knock Tom Izzo uh, for anything that he's done in regards to his tenure as a head coach. Well, good on him to see guys like Tyson Walker coming. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was, and, and what happened with Tyson Walker was, you know, when he, when he came into Michigan State, uh, we didn't have, we didn't have any backcourt, so yeah. he went we went after him, and and when he came from a lesser school, uh, at Northeastern in Boston, he was their top defender, top scorer, top assist guy, top everything. Well, last year, like a lot of first-year players, whether they're freshmen or transfers, sometimes it takes them a while to work their way in. And and Tom kept urging Walker last year, please shoot more. Mm. Well, now he's more comfortable. He's part of the group. And what's really changed is he, he does shoot more, and his defense is really good, by the way. Will, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Enjoy the call tonight. It should be an exciting game. Well, I think it's going to be, and Nebraska's a whole lot better than they were last year. I know that. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. Best have, have a happy New Year here, Will. Okay, same to you guys, and take care of the cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take good care of, the, oh, of my friend, the cream, to yes, my that, left. that is me. How, how, does, does nine seem right to you? The line? Mm, no. Man, it seems kind of <laughs> high, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you know, it, it's really just based on uh, watching Nebraska physically outperform Iowa in their last game. A, a game that – it was the best game that I've seen Nebraska play in a long time. And Iowa has a ton of problems right now. They're 0-3 in Big Ten play. They lost to the teams projected to finish 9th, 11th, and 14th in the Big Ten. They also lost to Eastern Illinois University. Shout out to my dad, former graduate. Go Big Blue. Uh, one of the worst teams in the country. At <laughs> can I call him Mr. Rogers and you not may. have him – you don't think I'm making light? No, no, you can call him whatever you want. And we'll talk uh, Seton Hall and Creighton coming up. How about that? Uh, a lot of great college basketball on the front. And we'll close it out with our good friend Joel Lorenzi next on Coffee and Cream, powered by Currency. Coffee and Cream with Rodgers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. We are back to close out the show. Coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency. To my left is my guy, DB. I'm Andrew Rogers. We are live from Hale Varsity Club in the H&H Chevrolet stage. And a great way to close out the show, I feel like we've been doing this lately, is on Tuesdays with Joel Lorenzi, our Creighton Beat reporter it, for the it, Omaha World Herald. Tuesdays with Joel. 
Tuesdays with Joel. Sounds like a uh, segment, like a, a children's segment. Can maybe, maybe it is meant for children. Joel, happy new year, man. How are you? <laughs> happy new year, guys. If, it's, if, if this segment is meant for children, man, I, I think I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> hey, so we better hide the women and children if we're Golden State fans. Coughing a rare one up at the house. Boy, did you see the 17-point meltdown coming? Well, um, <laughs> Atlanta hasn't uh, Atlanta hasn't exactly been uh, the team they were two years ago. I'll say that. Uh, I was I, I actually was uh, blogging about them a couple seasons back. Uh, I think it was actually during that, that year they went to the conference finals. And uh, man, they they're like a whole. They're basically. I mean, they're they're a meltdown right now. And uh, I think the reports about McMillan are um, certainly not helping. And so yeah, but 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 uh, there's nights in the NBA where like you know Clay erupting for fifty, like certain things, and and then uh, Kevon Looney winning the game off a tip. Like there are just certain things about the NBA that are just inevitable, and I think those are two of those things. I mean, Donovan Mitchell dropped seventy one. Thanks, like, thanks for like reminding there's, me. There's just stuff that you just can't. <laughs> there's just stuff you can't uh, control, man, because it's just. The NBA and its, and its happenings are inevitable. Hey, let me, so let me ask you something real quick before we get to the Jays. I see a lot of national basketball media actually taking the side of the coach here with Nate McMillan, basically telling Trey Young he needs to grow up. You don't see that a, a ton where a city is just waiting to embrace a potential star if he will just – allow himself to be loved, that the media seems to be siding with Nate McMillan here. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, you got to think, Trey Young is my age, man. <laughs> he's, he's the age of a person that's, you know, a year removed from college, if you think about it, um, if, if he would have graduated. And so uh, there's still a lot of room for for maturity and, and you know, to grow. But – I, I always, uh, I'm always confused. This isn't like a Monte Ellis or something, man. We talking about a Trey Young. Um, I, I never understood the mishandling of a team's first option or your your star because this is not like Trey. I mean, Trey Young just led them to the conference finals uh, two years ago mm-hmm. as the first option. People seem to forget that, and so I think uh, when you have this kind of turmoil and uh, you got this type of team dynamic. You got to do what's in the best interest of your first option, man. And I don't, I don't know if they can get back to where they were um, so soon, especially with you know the league now. Um, but you know, I think it's always in your best interest as a franchise to really see what your first option wants and and side with them. And frankly, I, I'm, I'm not sure Navy Mellon is the man for this job anyway at this point. Mm. We are speaking with Joel Lorenzi, apparently now the NBA beat reporter for Coffee and Cream in the morning. Uh, you can toss him a follow <laughs> at JX Lorenzi on Twitter. No, he's for real, the Creighton beat reporter for the Omaha World Herald, and that's the direction we'll go now. Talk Seton Hall tonight, because Creighton has started to show flashes of how they looked Earlier on, earlier on this year, and I know those games were against DePaul and Butler, two teams on the low end of the Big East, but is what we're seeing the Creighton of old, and is it sustainable now that everyone is back and healthy? Um, good question. I think 
uh, obviously games against DePaul and, and Butler need to be taken with a grain of salt, right? Um, but they did handle business against both. And I think the more encouraging thing is not that they, you know, got to beat on two of the worst teams in the Big East. Uh, I think the encouraging thing for them is um, they showed flashes of, you know, what they did well when people, hey, I'm, I'm not too old to remember when they were a top 10 team, right? And the stuff they did back then. Well, they just they hammered Seton Hall. <laughs> Seton, or St. John. Uh, Seton Hall just hammered St. John's. Like, they definitely have my attention. Yeah. And, and so, um, Seton Hall is definitely the toughest game of this uh, homestand. So, the, to, for, for them to be in the position they want to be in, uh, to where, you know, after those, those six losses, uh, for the rest of this way to not be such an uphill battle, they're going to need today's win, right? Like, that's like that's obvious. Um, but I think they've showed some of the flash of the things they did well to start the year to where people can maybe encourage by them again. And obviously having called Brenner back and healthy has helped that. But I think um, they've just done some of the intangible things and they've seen some of the things trending in the right direction for them that, you know, helped them early on. Joel, what do you think it's been about – what do you think it is about Coach Mack as you kind of watch this team where he's been able in his tenure to just move chess pieces, whether it's whether it's his high school guys blending with portal transfers, whether he's guys have sat for a year in terms of transferring and then got acclimated, whether it's swapping out a good chunk of his staff, which is flying under the radar in terms of how he's been able to remain consistent with – different guys at his side. What, what do you think it is about his persona that allows these transitions to run relatively smooth in terms of establishing consistency? Hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, even despite, you know, some, you know, some non-ideal things that happened in his past, yeah. I think – you look at his body of work um, and his demeanor. And I think he's a guy people might want to work for, right? Like, uh, he's not a, he's not super, like, even like a, a Bobby Knight with, with how Bob Knight was. Like, people wanted to work for him, right? Like, um, and so I think Mac is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum in terms of demeanor. Um, he's always collected. Um I think even if, you know, during that six-game streak, losing streak, if that team was truly in shambles, you would have never knew based on, you know, how he carried himself. Because I think even uh, even when they did need a kick in the ass or whatever, um, he just too cool. Like, and so I think that, that helps players who um, maybe need – you know, they need some direction mentally because he's not going to – I don't think he's going to work that or make it a challenge. And so that's why I can see people having an easier time trying to adjust around him. And then uh, the staff he brought in, I think, um, is probably – A great piece on Ziegler, by the way. Yet. Great piece on, on Ziegler. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so the guys like that, man, and, and uh, J.C. Williams and – and Ryan Miller, I mean, I think he's brought in guys who can recruit at the level 
the Creighton wants to be at. I mean, Creighton, the direction they're taking under Marcus Bossom, they're not trying to be that little old, you know, mid-major that they were in the MVC two or ten years ago. And so the direction they're trying to take is actually be a Big East power. And the, the guys they got on the staff now, I think, are, are the right guys for that. 14 games in, now starting to dig the toes into the sand of Big East play. What's your comfort level with bench production where we stand? Because it still doesn't seem to be there. Yeah, um, I like to think Farabello, this is the thing, because obviously Farabello was the first guy off the bench, right? But yeah. um, with Farabello, I like to think, what, what people don't understand, and, and when he doesn't shoot well, um, the thing that keeps him on the floor is that he still makes virtually no mistakes in their system. He's going to make the right pass. He's going to make the right decisions. Even if you can't tell as it's happening because when he catches it, he might not make the shot. Even though I think he's turned the corner on that front. Um, you know, he just, he's sound. People people don't seem to see that in real time. And then, obviously, um, it makes it harder. This is, this is the thing that's probably frustrated me most with Farabello watching him is that um, you'll often see guys hunt him. Um, I don't know how much you do in terms of matchups with him, but you'll you'll see him get hunted. Like I, I've seen him get torched a few times this year, um, but I think in terms of you know shooting and confidence and all the stuff that people expected from him, he's turning the corner. I think Fred King uh, made a a pretty decent jump, like matured pretty quickly while Carl Brenner was out those few games. Obviously not going to have the same impact as uh, as Kalkbrenner. That just comes with years of basketball. Uh, but he's turned the corner to where I think they're actually confident in his minutes and, you know, can actually kind of breathe with Kalkbrenner's down on the floor. Talking with Joel Lorenzi as we let you go, Joel, the guy that uttered the line, wrote the line, his hairline is intact and he's still in relative playing shape with regards to Ziegler. That was a fantastic mm-hmm. line that a guy like me can get. His hairline is intact, my man. Nope. Let me let me get you out of here on this. <laughs> Xavier hammers UConn. Uh, they controlled that game basically start to finish. Seton Hall erupts for, I think, 47-48 in the second half against St. John. Marquette goes on the road and handles Nova. Of those three games, which one is an indicator of, of how you think the Big East will trend? Mm. Mm. I think I, I probably have to say uh, probably the Xavier win. Not not like I, I think still UConn. It's, it's pretty hard to dethrone them from from first in the league um, as the best team in the league. They haven't played enough games for for me to say yeah. they're going to be first in the league, but. Um, I, I still think they're the best team in the league, um, but I think it shows that they're they're vulnerable, right? Like they're not completely invincible, and and I think it it goes to show that you know if any team was going to beat them, I think it was going to be Xavier, because Xavier is in probably the same tier with them or a tier below, and everybody else is you know below them. I think um, and Xavier is still like a, a top twenty team in the country. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I, th- I think that that meant more than anything. Just showing that Xavier could really hang with them, and that UConn isn't, you know, some some invincible juggernaut in this league. 
You're the best, man. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks so much. Joel. We'll talk next week. Thanks, guys. Hey, and thank you for joining us out there as well. Happy New Year. We'll be back tomorrow. If we missed anything, all those extra sports topics that you may have been hoping to hear about, go to Morning Dump wherever you get your podcast. We'll get to the poll question there too. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.